never imagined we would live to see a day like this. We never imagined that we would endure a global pandemic. We never envisioned uh, yet another downturn so severe in the economy that it's being compared to the 1930s. We who had hoped that the sin of racism had finally been put behind us learned that we were wrong and the ugly sin of racism reared her head yet again and we're dealing with it even still. Add to that the overcrowded conditions of hospitals, the hostility in the political system, the sense of isolation and helplessness that many people feel the fear that comes with the possibility of either losing your job or having just lost your job. The concern about looking into a school year, having absolutely no idea what that school year is going to look like. The fact that so many of the predictable uh, routines of our lives have been taken away from us. The scaffolding of spring, summer, fall, winter, and what happens during those days completely changed. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine that a person wouldn't be tested, discouraged, and frustrated, and even depressed as they try to deal with this time. My friend, I want to encourage you. I want you to know that the Lord is with you. I want you to know that he knew this was coming. He knows it's happening and he knows how he's going to bring it all to an end. He's using all of this to call people to himself and he's calling you and me to a deeper walk with him. The scripture says that in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, many people will be discovered to be not true passengers on the ship of faith, but just stowaways, uh, short timers. Do not let yourself be one of those. Let your love go deep. Let your love go deep. Let your faith be strong. Now to do that, dear friend, what you did last year to nourish your faith is not enough for this year. It's just not enough. You were accustomed perhaps to church programs, maybe to a, a busy church sanctuary or a full church auditorium, to being supplemented and strengthened by hanging out with other Christians. And many of those sources of strength are just simply not there. Now, I would encourage you, don't allow yourself to slide away and let your faith grow, uh, let your faith become lukewarm. Do whatever it takes. Dig deeper. Keep your Bible open. Keep your knees bent. Keep your connection with other Christians strong. Find some way of service. Uh, don't allow yourself to go inward. Don't grow uh, alone on an island, but stay strong in your faith. God is going to get you through this. He's going to get us through this, and he's going to get his church through this. His church has seen things like this since the very beginning. Why? The very earliest uh, uh, challenge of the church was what is called the diaspora as the church because of persecution in Jerusalem and surrounding areas was pressed they had to run they had to escape and the gospel consequently was taken around the world was taken into the Mediterranean taken into what is now called Turkey taken into Ethiopia places that the that the, the gospel needed to go went because of trouble because of stress I believe that right now the gospel 
gospel is going around the world in a way faster than any of us can imagine because people realizing that they've been untethered from sources of encouragement and diversion and, and pleasure are finally looking to God. And they're looking online. They're opening their Bible. They're opening books. They're listening to messages. I believe we're going to see a great harvest come out of this. But in the meantime, it really falls to us to stay strong, to hang in there. Pray for your church. Pray for Oak Hills. Pray for Travis. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the elders. They're facing uncharted waters, and they're doing so brilliantly and faithfully. I'm so proud of them, and I love them, and I stand with you for them. I stand with you for them. May God give them wisdom and strength. I'm not going to fall into that camp of Monday morning quarterbacks that are always questioning whatever church does. I'm going to trust the Lord to speak through our leaders and to guide us into the right path forward. And in the meantime, we keep our Bible open. We keep ourselves encouraged. And I don't know of a better place to go for encouragement than the most famous psalm in the Bible, the 23rd Psalm. As we look at it again today, let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, <clears throat> for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Most heavenly Father, please have mercy upon our speaker. His sins are many, and help us to see Jesus and just Jesus. Have mercy upon all who hear this word, wherever they be in the world. Lift them up in the distant lands of Croatia, Australia, in the nearby towns of, of Selma and Bernie, wherever they are, wherever we are, we pray, Father, a special blessing upon all who hear the word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Eric Hill had everything that you would need for a bright future. He was 28 years old and a recent college grad with an athletic frame and a contagious smile. His family loved him. Girls took notice of him. Companies had contacted him about working for them. But although Eric appeared composed without, he was actually tormented within. Tormented by voices that he could not silence. Bothered by images he could not avoid. So hoping to get away from them all, he got away from it all and on a February day in 1982, Eric Hill walked out the back door of his Florida home, and he never came back. His sister Debbie remembers seeing him leave, actually seeing his tall frame amble down the interstate. But she assumed he would return. He always had before, but he didn't. She had hoped he would call, but he didn't. She thought she could find him, but she couldn't. 
exactly where Eric journeyed, only he and God know, and neither of the two have ever given that information. And what we do know is that at some point, Eric heard a voice. And in that voice was an assignment. And that assignment was to pick up garbage alongside Interstate 10 in San Antonio, Texas. To the commuters on Interstate 10, his lanky beard and uh, his bearded face and his lanky form became a familiar sight. He made a home out of a hole in a vacant lot. He made a wardrobe out of split trousers and a and a torn sweatshirt. An old hat deferred the summer sun. And a plastic bag would wrap, he'd wrap around his shoulders to keep him warm in the winter. His weathered face and stooped shoulders made him look twice his 44 years of age. But then 16 years on the side of the road will do that to you. That's how long it had been since Debbie had seen her brother. She might never have seen him again were it not for two events. The first was the construction of a, a car dealership on Eric's vacant lot. It was a CarMax that's on Interstate 10 to this day. The second was a severe pain in his abdomen. The dealership took his home. The pain nearly took his life. EMS found him curled up in a ball on the side of the road, clutching his stomach. The hospital ran some tests and determined that Eric had cancer, terminal cancer. Another few months and he would be dead. With no known family or relatives, he would die alone. His court-appointed attorney couldn't handle this thought. Surely somebody is looking for Eric, he reasoned, and, and so the lawyer got online and looked and looked and looked for anybody in search of a brown-haired adult male with the last name Hill. It took a long time, but he finally found someone. He found Debbie. His description seemed to match her memory, but she had to know for sure, so Debbie came to Texas. She and her husband and two children rented a a hotel room and set out to see Eric. By now he had been released from the hospital, but the chaplain knew where he was hanging out and they found him sitting against a building not far from the interstate. As they approached, he stood. They offered fruit. He refused. They offered juice. He declined. He was polite, but he was unimpressed and he did not recognize this lady who who claimed to be his family. His interest perked, however, when Debbie offered him a pin to wear, an angel pin. He said yes. And his first time to be touched by a family member in 16 years happened when he allowed Debbie to pin the angel on his shirt. Debbie had intended to stay a week, but a week passed, she stayed. Her husband returned home, she stayed. Spring became summer. Eric improved a bit, she stayed. Debbie rented an apartment and began homeschooling her kids and reaching out to her brother. It wasn't easy. He didn't recognize her. He didn't really want anything to do with her. One day he cursed her. He didn't want to sleep in her apartment. He didn't want her food. He didn't want to talk. 
He liked his vacant lot. He wanted his job. Who was this woman anyway? But Debbie refused to give up on Eric. She understood that he didn't understand. So she stayed. I met her. I met Debbie. I would come to meet Eric, though only briefly. I even said a word at his funeral. I met Debbie at church one Sunday. Yes, she uh, visited the Oak Hills Church many years ago. When she shared her story, I asked her what you might have wanted to ask. I said, how do you keep from giving up? And she said, simple. He's my brother. The story of her great pursuit reminded me of another. That, that heart of hers reminded me of another heart. Another kind heart who left home in search of the confused. Another compassionate soul who couldn't bear the thought of a brother or sister in pain. So like Debbie, he left home. Like Debbie, he found his sibling. And when Jesus found us, we responded like Eric. Our limitations kept us from recognizing the one who came to save us. We even doubted his presence. We've been known to curse him. Yet how does he respond? How does he deal with our doubts? Well, I'll tell you what. He follows us. As Debbie followed Eric, God follows us. He pursues until we, at least some of us, finally see him as our father, our savior, his spirit as our source of inner strength. And he will follow us still all the days of our lives. Can we talk for just a few moments about God's pursuit of you? The, 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 the psalmist David wrote these wonderful words, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This must be one of the sweetest phrases ever penned. Can we read it from a few other translations? Goodness and love unfailing. These will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Or this one. I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life and that your house will be my home as long as I live. And this one, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I am back home in the house of Yahweh for the rest of my life. To read the verses, to open a box of jewels, each word sparkles and begs to be examined in the face of our doubts. Goodness and mercy, all the days dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These phrases sweep in like a SWAT team on the doubts of our heart. I want to look at the first word. I, surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. David didn't say maybe goodness and mercy shall follow me or possibly goodness and mercy shall follow me or I'm hoping that goodness and mercy shall follow me. He could have used one of those other phrases, but he didn't. David believed in a sure God, a God who makes promises and provides a sure foundation. 
You know, David would have loved the words of one of his great, 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 great grandsons, the Apostle James, who wrote, spoke of God with whom there is never the slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. Our moods may shift, but God's doesn't. Our minds may change, but God's doesn't. Our devotion may falter, but God's doesn't. Even if we're faithless, 2 Timothy 2.13 says he cannot betray himself, so he'll remain faithful. He's a sure God. And because he's a sure God, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And what follows the word surely? Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. You see, if the Lord is the shepherd who leads the flock, goodness and mercy are the two sheepdogs that guard the rear of the flock. Goodness and mercy. Not goodness alone, for we are sinners in need of mercy. Not mercy alone, for we're fragile in need of goodness. We need them both. As one man wrote, goodness to supply every want, mercy to forgive every sin, mercy, goodness to provide, mercy to pardon. Goodness and mercy. The celestial escort of God's flock. And if that duo doesn't reinforce your faith, try this phrase, all the days of my life. All the days of my life. What a huge statement. Look at the size of it. Goodness and mercy follow the child of God each and every day. All the days. Think of the days that lie ahead. What do you see? Days at home with only toddlers. God will be with you. Days in an unemployment line. God will be with you. Days of loneliness, God will take your hand. Days in a hospital bed, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you there. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you, not some, not most, not nearly all, but all the days of my life. And what will he do during these days? Well, here's my favorite word. He will follow us. He will follow us. Is that not a surprising way to describe God? We're accustomed to a God who remains up there in one place. A God who sits enthroned in heaven and rules and reigns and ordains. Indeed, he is. But David envisioned a mobile and active God. A God who follows us, who pursues us. Dare we do the same? Dare we envision a God who follows us? Dare you? Dare you envision a God who follows you, who tracks you down, who wins you over, who follows you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life? Friend, this is the God we find in the Bible. Look at this. Look with me at the passion of God for just a moment. You've got to go no further than the, than the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, before you find God in the role of a seeker. Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes, uh, partly to cover their bodies, partly to cover their sin. But does God wait for them to come to him? No. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9, his words, the words of God ring in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? And with that question, God began a quest for the heart of humanity that continues up through and to the moment you hear these words. Where are you? God says. 
He comes following us, pursuing us. Moses can tell you about it. He was 40 years in the desert when he looked over his shoulder and he saw a bush blazing. God had followed him into the wilderness. Jonah can tell you about it. He was a fugitive on a boat when he looked over his shoulder and saw the clouds brewing. God had followed him onto the ocean. The disciples of Jesus knew the feeling of being followed by God. They were rain-soaked and shivering when they looked over their shoulders and saw Jesus walking toward them on the storm, through the storm. God had followed them into the storm. A woman who goes unnamed in the, in the region of Samaria knew the same. She lived all alone in her life, and she was alone at the well when she looked over her shoulder and saw a Messiah speaking, and God had followed her through her pain. John the Apostle was banished on Patmos and he looked over and saw the skies begin to open. God had followed him into exile. Remember Lazarus, three days dead in a sealed tomb. He heard a voice. He lifted his head and looked over his shoulder. There was Jesus standing, telling him to stand up. God had followed him right there into the grave. Peter had denied his Lord, gone back to fishing when he heard his name and looked over his shoulder and saw Jesus cooking breakfast tacos. God had followed him in spite of his failure. God is the God who follows. He's the God who follows. Let me ask you, friend. Have you sensed him following you? Have you? Have you? Well, I know we often miss him. Like Eric we don't know our helper when he's near, but still he comes. Is he coming to you? Is he speaking to you through the kindness of a stranger, through the forgiveness of a spouse, through the love of a parent, through the joy of a child, through a word well-spoken or a touch well-timed, or even through a sermon right now? Do you sense him coming to you, calling to you, wooing you, whispering, calling you, saying, I'm calling you back. I'm calling you back. Do you sense him coming for you? If so, would you do this? Would you just release your doubts? Just release your doubts. Set them down. Be encumbered by them no longer. You're not a candidate for insecurity. You're no longer a client of timidity. You can trust God. He has given his love to you. Why don't you give your fears to him? Give your doubts to him. Not easy to do, you say. I know, but it's not impossible. And it's not as difficult as you might think. Try these ideas and then I'll be done. Just trust the promise of the shepherd. Trust the promise of the shepherd. First of all, don't consult your feelings. Don't consult your feelings. You feel that you're all alone. That's a lie. Scripture says God is with you. Your feelings have no impact on God's presence. On the days you don't feel close to God, then just don't consult your feelings. One of the most common questions that I get asked is, how, how, how do I behave on the days that I don't feel close to God? I say, well, just take your feelings outside and give them a good talking to. Your feelings are not reliable. I don't always feel close to God. But Scripture, Scripture says, He is with me every day. And he will be with me every day. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Your feelings don't get a vote. They don't. 
And during these days of so much stress, of course you don't feel all peppy and enthusiastic and faithful and energetic. That's okay. Cut yourself some slack. Don't consult your feelings. And then number two, measure your value through God's eyes, not your own. To everyone else, Eric Hill was just a homeless drifter. But to Debbie, he, he was a brother. You know, there's times in our lives we feel like we're gangrels, homeless, disoriented, hard to help, hard to love, like drifters. And in those seasons, just remember this fact. You're in God's family. You're in God's family. And he loves you. And his love doesn't come and go like the love of humans. His love never changes. Why does he love you? Well, because you're family. And because you're family, he'll follow you all the days of your life. And then thirdly and lastly, see the big picture, not the small. You see, Eric's home was taken, his, his health was taken. But through the tragedy, his family was returned to him in the big picture. In the big picture, what started off as, as a burden became a wonderful blessing. Now, now, I know it's been rough over the last few days and weeks and months. I get that. And maybe your home is, and your health have been threatened. And I'm not saying that's easy. But could it be that through this, you're going to find your family, your spiritual family as well. You'll find your heavenly father, a father who will follow you all the days of your life. By the way, the last chapter of Eric's life was his best one. Days before he died, he he recognized Debbie as his sister. And in doing so, he discovered his home. I, I can remember meeting him, visiting him and her in the hospital. And he looked at her with that familiarity that you have when you're looking at a family member's face. We will see our Heavenly Father. I know that many of us have doubted him uh, like like Debbie, even though we have doubted him, God has followed us. Like Eric, we've been quick to turn away. But Debbie, she was slow to anger and so is God. He's slow to anger. He's determined to stay. Like Eric, we don't always accept God's gift. But, but Debbie still gave gifts to Eric and God still gives them to us. And he, well, he gives us his angels. And he doesn't just give us his angels as a, as a pin on a lapel, but placed on our path to protect us and to guide us and and most of all he he gives us himself even when we choose our hovel over his house when we choose our trash over his grace he still follows us never forcing us never leaving us patiently persistent faithfully present using all of his power to convince us that he is who he is and that he can be trusted to lead us home because his goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We understand, right, that our Heavenly Father is doing more than just recruiting a flock for this earth. But he's recruiting a flock, summoning to himself a people with whom he can reign throughout eternity. Everything, everything is working together to invite you to be a part of that forever flock, that forever family. Could I urge you, my friend, if you've never said yes to him, please do. Please do. Don't wait 
another day. Don't wait another day. No one knows when he's returning. But boy, these, these activities, these circumstances, these events of these days make us take a good long look into the eastern sky to see if he isn't about to call us home. And I want you to be home with him. Say yes to him. Pray with me, if you would. Just say this. Say, Lord, I call upon you as my Savior and Shepherd. Please forgive my sins. I call out to you as the Lord of all. I confess you as the Lord of my life. Through Christ I pray. Amen. For those of you who prayed that prayer, God bless you and welcome to the family of God. And welcome to the church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, uh, to encourage you, to help you understand the Bible, to help you belong to a church family, and to participate in your baptism. Reach out to us so we can reach out to you. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.